to the center of our passage this morning is the fact that God is faithful and that God is one who is loving, who endures all things, who is eternal. And I pray this morning that as we, we look at the Scripture, that we're encouraged by, by what this psalm is actually declaring this morning. We're going to be looking at Psalm 90, and my hope is that as we look at Psalm 90, that we would be encouraged to live out the purpose that God has given us, regardless of the season or time. The, the truth is right now that, as Scott mentioned a few minutes ago, is that we probably could never have envisioned June 1st the way it's occurring on January 1st of this year. We have civil unrest and we have divide racially. We're in the midst of a, a shelter in place. And that's just kind of throughout our culture. And we're also experiencing transition as a church and we're losing some relationship in terms of distance and being with the Cunninghams on a weekly basis. And that can lead to us feeling at times disappointed or discouraged. It can even, as we look at our culture, feel like we're standing in the midst of kind of a hopeless situation. That there's chaos around us and we're not sure how to respond. And it at times almost seems pointless or fruitless to respond and to even take the effort to do so. But what God wants us to see is that he has a purpose for us. That he, He's calling us to a place and to a purpose that's beyond what we can simply see. And so what we're going to look at this morning is that God really does desire for us to continue forward in that purpose, to endure in that purpose. And so let's go ahead and look at Psalm 90 together. And as we do that, before we jump into that passage, let's go ahead and pray this morning. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that You remind us that You are faithful. Lord, as we look at our world around us and we, we see it unsettled and we see the, the anger that is at work and we see, in some cases, we see the hate, we, we see the lack of unity and the divide and the chaos that exists in our culture. Father, for some of us, we're also wrestling with that, that sense of loss as well. And for the Cunninghams, that they too are experiencing a, a, a loss as well. A loss of relationship with, with the body here. And, and so, Lord, we, we can sometimes feel as if things kind of pile on top of each other. And so, Father, I pray this morning that as we look at Your Word, we would be encouraged and reminded of who You are and of who we are. And we would be reminded that we've been created for You and for Your glory. And so, Lord, may we be a people this morning who are humbled, who are encouraged, who are challenged and convicted. May we be a people who rejoice over Your goodness. Lord God, we pray that if there are things that are on our heart, God, things that are 
concern to us, sadness, disappointment, sin. Maybe it struggles in our family, struggles at work, struggles with income, whatever it may be, God, I pray that we would just put that at your feet this morning, that we would submit it to you. Lord, I pray that you would move me out of the way and that it would be you. Lord, come in power this morning. And may your spirit, God, give us understanding of your word and understanding of our hearts in relation to you. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and look here at Psalm 90. We're going to be looking at the entirety of the chapter. We're going to go from verse 1 through verse 17. We'll be reading from the English Standard Version, and this is what it says. It says, A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever You had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, You are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning, and the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You've set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. The heart of this passage is the truth that enduring in God's purpose comes from knowing and seeking Him with wisdom. Enduring in God's purpose comes from knowing and seeking Him with wisdom. Endurance comes from knowing and seeking with wisdom. That's what Psalms 90 is beginning to, to point us towards. Psalm 90 is unique in that it is the oldest of the Psalms. It's written by Moses. And at times, it's often been used as kind of a, a hymn that, or a, as a psalm that, that both speaks to the fact that God is is still working and moving even in times of loss or in chaos. See, Moses 
was in this interesting place as he begins to write this psalm. Most likely, Moses is writing shortly after the time in which he's experienced God's discipline of both himself and the Israelites in the wilderness. We're told that in Numbers 14, that the Israelites themselves, God had instructed to go into the land of Canaan. And when they looked at the land of Canaan and they saw the the giants that were in the land and the warriors, they became afraid and they chose to disobey God. Even though Caleb and Joshua said, no, we need to go, the people opted to rebel against God and trust in themselves. And in Numbers 14, verses 31 through 34, we're told this. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, How long shall this wicked wicked congregation grumble against me? I've heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and all your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me, no one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb the son of Jephthah and Joshua the son of Nun. But your little ones who said you would become prey, I will bring in, and they shall know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years, and shall suffer for your faithlessness, until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness." According to the number of the days in which you spied in the land, 40 days, a year for each day, you shall bear your iniquity 40 years, and you shall know my displeasure. So in response to their disobedience, to trusting not in God, but rebelling against Him, as God is leading the Israelites out of of Egypt, through the wilderness, and into the promised land, the Israelites rebel against God. And the consequence of that rebellion is that they will not be able to enter into the promised land. Only those who are younger than 20 that are with them will actually begin be able to enter into the promised land. Now shortly thereafter, Moses himself is instructed to give water through the rock and it's supposed to flow. As God had instructed him to simply place the people before the rock and that he would spring forth water, Moses decides to strike the rock. And we're told in Numbers 20, verse 11, that because of Moses' lack of faith in that moment, God also tells Moses that he will not be able to enter into the promised land. Not with the people. Now you can imagine that they've now been able to to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. The disappointment that must have come across Moses, that in those moments that he was going to lead this people to the brink of the promised land, but he would not be able to go, and many many of them would not be able to go in. And you can imagine the questions that were going through his mind and his heart. Like, Lord... This is discouraging. I'm disappointed. Now for some of us, 
disappointment or discouragement or frustration actually kind of stalemates us. It puts us in a place where we just grow frustrated with God and we we kind of go, what's the difference, Lord? But in this case, Moses doesn't do that. And we know that because Moses, we're told, is a righteous man. And God has used Moses And he's continuing to use Moses. And so Moses reaches out to God. Rather than becoming frustrated with God, he actually cries out to Him. He prays to Him. And the truth is is that what we get the chance to see here is a picture of a man after God's heart that rather than giving up and saying it's all pointless, Is my life meaningless because now I'm just frustrated? It doesn't really seem like the purposes that God had intended are going to be carried out. Moses is on the other spectrum of that. Moses begins by acknowledging who God is. And so, how do we remain focused on God's purpose even amidst difficulties and their disappointments? How do we remain focused in a state of transition when we don't know what the next few months hold? How do we stay focused when it looks like around us a city is being vandalized and at nighttime we have curfews and people seem to be all over the place in terms of different opinions? The truth is is that probably if you looked within the body of Christ today, there are probably a whole host of differing opinions just within Redemption Hill Church about what's taking place. But our unity is not in the politics of the day, and our unity is not in the circumstances around us, but our unity is in Christ. And it's His purpose that has to reign in our life. And so what does Moses do first? where it tells us that as he prays, he cries out. In verse 1 and 2, it says, Lord, You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever You had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, You are God. The very first thing that Moses does is he ponders God's eternality. He, He ponders the eternalness of God. It's easy at times to to think of God as existing within our own box and within our own world. But he says, listen, you've been a dwelling place. Now that word dwelling place in Hebrew is the word meon. And meon actually means refuge or habitation. It carries with it the idea of assistance. So God has been the dwelling place Not for the last 20 years, not for the last 1,000 years, not for the last 3,000 years when this was written. But God's been the dwelling place for all generations. For all generations. For all time. It says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Moses acknowledges that God is far greater than anything that we can imagine. And that He is tried and tested, meaning 
For all generations, we've come to God. He's been our refuge. Deuteronomy 33, 27-29 affirms this when it says, The eternal God is your dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And He thrust our enemy before you and said, Destroy. So Israel lived in safety. Jacob lived alone in a land of grain and wine whose heavens dropped down dew. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you. Listen to this. A people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help and the sword of your triumph. Your enemies shall come fawning to you and you shall tread upon their backs. The eternal God. The eternal One. See, if we're going to endure in the purpose of God, it begins by us acknowledging the eternalness of God. I think we say phrases like He's everlasting to everlasting, but we don't actually take the time to think about those things. What does that really mean? What does it really mean that God is eternal? Augustine said this, he said, Thou hast created us for Thyself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Thee. We've been created for God, and we have to find our rest in the eternal Creator. And we need to be reminded that God existed before this moment. He's overseen many of these instances. And we may never have seen it before, but He has because there's nothing new under the sun. You see, we need to be reminded that God has gone through this and He is our source of refuge. The second thing that we need to consider then, we see in verses 3-6. through And that is, He says here, You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as a yesterday when is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes, is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. So the first thing that we needed to do was to ponder God's eternality. Now we need to consider man's mortality. We need to consider man's mortality. Look at this. Man is frail, he says here. We're created out of dust and we return to dust. He goes on and he says that you sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. God has full control. When He brought His judgment through the flood in the day of Noah, it was God, not, not nature that took over, but it was God. Man was subject to God. And our lives are mortal. You see, we need to consider that life and man is brief. That we don't have as much power over circumstances that we would like to have. That when we feel out of control, it can also often lead us to feel out of purpose. To feel disjointed, to, to give up because we're overwhelmed. 
But what God wants from us is to be a people who actually recognize our own mortality. That we have nothing to offer God apart from God Himself. A life submitted to Jesus. In 1 Peter 1, 24-25, it says, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the good news that was preached to you. So Moses begins his prayer by pondering the eternality of God. And then he considers the mortality of man, and he compares those two things together. He helps us see that if God is eternal, that His purpose in our lives is but a speck on that eternal on that eternal kind of timeline. That we get to play a part and that God is still working and that we need to remember that we play a part in that. That we are not eternal apart from Jesus. It is only in Jesus that we have eternal life. But it won't be until Christ returns and restores His creation that we will live without the expectation of death in this life. You see, it is because God is eternal and we are mortal that we get to see that we play a small part in God's greater purpose. That we can rejoice in the fact that, yes, we may not know what the final outcome will be. A few weeks ago, I was walking downtown with a friend of mine, Scott Tolson. Some of you know him. Scott's pastor of the Vine Church in Windsor, but he had been, we've been associate pastors together at a different church. And as we walked, we were walking past a church in downtown Windsor and I looked at him and said something has just really struck me a couple weeks ago and that is that so do you remember us coming downtown and praying and do you remember that this is actually an answer to prayer and what it was was that when I came to Windsor in 2000 there was a group of us as associate pastors that decided to take some time and to just pray over the town of Windsor And one of the areas that we really felt compelled to pray over was an area in downtown Windsor, and it was an old Methodist church that had become what was called the Spiritual Health Center. And basically what it was was a universalist church. It was a church that preached that there were many pathways to heaven. It rejected the idea that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That no man comes to the Father but through me. That Jesus is the only way. And we began to sense as we prayed down there every week that there really was a darkness around this kind of area in downtown where this this spiritual health center resided. And so 2000 and 2001 and 2002, we met each week there praying that God would break whatever strongholds existed in that area, but that God would actually make this a place for His gospel to go forward in power. I remember a number of years ago, come to down to Santa Rosa to, 
to foothills and I remember thinking to myself, I wonder, I wonder if that ever did actually any good. And what was interesting was I was doubting something that I felt so compelled to do. And God, over the course of those years, began to just point me and show me the power of prayer. But then just a few weeks ago, took me back and as we walked past this church going, Oh my gosh, 18 years later, God answered this prayer. That building that was a bastion for false teaching is now the River Calvary Chapel. And it's a church that faithfully proclaims God's Word right in the heart of Windsor. See, God does things that are not in our timing, they're in His timing. And we get to be able to play a part of it. And it's because He's eternal and we're mortal that we often forget that. That we expect it to be done in our time and not in His. And so when, if we're going to endure God's purpose and in His purpose, we have to start by pondering His eternality. We have to then consider our own mortality that, that God is allowing us to take part in His purpose. And then, in verses 7-11, through 11, we see something else. And that is that we need to remember God's righteous judgment. We need to remember God's righteous judgment. It says, For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason a strength of 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? You see, our lives were once under the wrath of God, but for those who repent and believe on Jesus, we're now walking by grace, and we need to remember that it's only by grace that we, experience, that we escape from the righteous judgment of God. Because Jesus took our rightful punishment and experienced God's judgment on the cross on our behalf. But if we lose sight that mankind is under His wrath, we're going to lose sight of the beautiful truth of God's grace. See, God's grace is made more beautiful in contrast to His judgment. Because we receive something that we didn't deserve, which was a pardoning of our own sin. In James 4, 13-17, it says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this and that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Our lives 
are like a vapor. And actually in this passage, in verse 9, it says, For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reasons of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. If we understand that we are living by grace, we need to see every day as a blessing from God. In our culture, we, we celebrate things based upon the year. I'm 45 years old. At 40, you get that birthday party where they say you're over the hill and everything's downhill. In my case, that actually was kind of the case physically, right? Turned 40 and somebody said, hey, it's all downhill. And I kind of laughed and joked. And yeah, guess what happened to me? All kinds of stuff. But the truth is, is that that celebration that we do yearly actually needs to be a daily celebration. And what I mean by that is, is that we need to remember that every day is a blessing from God for His purpose. And we need to see that His wrath and His anger that He has now actually gone ahead in our behalf, meted out because through the work on the cross, He took our punishment. That for those who repent and believe now can experience life with Him but for those who don't, who haven't heard the gospel, who are in rebellion to the gospel, his destruction is coming. And he reminds us to look and to stand at awe with God's power. We look at these situations and feel out of control, and we need to be reminded that God is still in control. We look at our nation and we we say phrases like disgusting and this is horrible. It is. It is awful. But we need to be pointing people to the one that is beautiful. We need to be pointing to the beautiful hope of Jesus. The, the gospel that allows us to admit error and and. And fallacy, the gospel that allows us to be humble and say, I was wrong and I need forgiveness. A gospel that allows us to see the darkest places, the secret sin in our own life, and bring it before a God who can redeem it through the work of the cross. That's what we need to do. And if we're going to endure in God's purpose, we need to have a, a grasp of the judgment of God. Because the judgment of God actually points to His power. His power to overcome death. His power to redeem. But also His power to bring life and to take life. It's important. And we need to know that we're not promised tomorrow. And that God's gospel is for today. Moses gets this. He begins by pondering the eternality of God. 
he considers man's mortality and is able to see that he's a piece of God's fulfillment of his will. And that it's a blessing to be a part of it. And then he remembers the judgment of God and the awe that is seen in both his deliverance of people and yet his power over all creation. It changes the way that we approach things, doesn't it? A God who is all-powerful. A God who has redeemed His own because He loves them. It makes the situations around us not seem so hopeless anymore, doesn't it? That if God can do these things, then He can change the circumstances we're in and He can use them for His purpose and for His glory. And so notice what he does then. The beginning of his prayer is this reminder of who God is and who man is in relationship to God. And then he actually seeks God and his blessing on the church. He seeks God and his blessing on the church. Notice what happens here. It says in verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. So where does he go? So he understands who God is. He understands who he is in relationship to God. He remembers the judgment of God and the goodness of God through the work of the cross. And he understands the greatness of God through the work of the cross. And then he turns and he seeks God. He petitions God. He goes to God. And he begins by saying, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. See, the idea of teaching us to number our days is to propel us forward with understanding that each day isn't guaranteed and we're to live with an urgency to fulfill God's purpose. It's one of the reasons that when we understand this, we can send Ben and Bree and Micah and Grace and Hudson and Ella off with joy, knowing that God is using them where He wants to use them. That He is moving His people into position for His glory and for His purpose. And if we get to see that we're each a part of that, that that is how God is moving and working and that we're a part of something that has been going on for thousands of years, this isn't new, then we can be excited with them. We can rejoice with them. And our loss then becomes overshadowed by what God is doing. The same is true in our world and in our culture. We can look at the circumstances of our world and be so discouraged by it and lose sight. But if we see that God is orchestrating such things so that we might actually carry out His purpose rather than give up, we can see that these are opportunities to bring hope to a world that is desperate need of hope. Warren Wiersbe points out, with Jesus Christ in control, life is an adventure, a challenge, an investment for eternity. Teach us to number our days, Lord, and help us to live every day for Jesus Christ with your wisdom. And so, Moses says here, teach me to number my days so that I might have a heart of wisdom. 
that at this point, I might run towards the things of God. I might run towards His purpose. I ask you this question. It's a question that each of us need to ask. Am I living with urgency for the purpose of God? Am I living with urgency for the purpose of God? Now notice, because of this wisdom, this wisdom of who God is eternally, who man is from a mortal perspective, because of the judgment over mankind that God will bring, there's a wisdom that we gain when we know that we don't have tomorrow, but we have today. There is a wisdom when we see that every day is to be served for the Lord. And so wisdom leads us to desire the blessing of a few things here. The first is the blessing of His presence. And we see that in verse 13 where He says, Return, O Lord, how long have pity on Your servants. You see, when we're living for abandon for God and it's for His purpose, we see our inadequacy really quick. But we also see as a God who is desiring to use His people. It's so easy to be caught up in the world and lose sight of the fact that God desires to use you and God desires to use me for His purpose. And He is letting us in, not on some temporary purpose that exists for three hours. He's letting us in on His eternal purpose. That's exciting. We get to be let in on His eternal purpose. It means that I may not see the results but it means that He is with me. I share with you guys that I've never felt more close to God than I did when I was in the hospital in 2015. And part of that was not just because of the physical ailments, but it was because of what God was doing with doctors and nurses around me, and I felt completely inadequate and there were days that my mind felt jarbled up and the last thing I wanted to actually think about in that moment was sharing my faith. But it was in His presence that He sustained and He continued to work. And what He brought was that next thing, which was a joy. And we see that there in verses 14 through 15 where He says, Satisfy us in the morning with Your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. So what's he praying here? He's actually desiring God's blessing. A blessing of His presence. A blessing of His joy. And then he's desiring the blessing of His power. In verse 16 it says, Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. When we're serving the Lord, we're allowing God's power to be seen. And what He's praying for is that His power would be seen in His servants. Notice that this is not a prayer just for Himself. It is a prayer for the church. It 
It's easy in times where we're uncomfortable to pray about us. To pray about me. And what he's saying here is we need to be a people who are continuing to pray about his church and for his church. And the beauty of that is is that we can pray for Ben and Bree as they go. We can seek God's presence. We can have joy in who He is. And we can be praying for God's continuing work and power in Vancouver. Just the same that we can be praying for God's continuing work through us here in Santa Rosa and in Sonoma County. And notice that Moses isn't just kind of thinking of this and just saying, well, this is the best thing I know how to pray. It actually is becoming the longing of his heart. So as he's understanding himself in relationship to an eternal God who is allowing him to participate in his purpose and his plan and who has redeemed him from his judgment, he's desiring and longing to be in God's presence He's desiring for His joy to overwhelm Him. He's desiring for His power to be seen. And He's desiring, finally, His favor. You see, in verse 17, it says, Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Now, Stephen Coles adds this. He says, not only does Moses pray that God's blessing would be upon his people, but also that God would confirm the work of their hands. He doesn't just mean spiritual work, such as the priests did, but all the work that they did, farming, business, and family life. When you have the eternal God as your dwelling place, all of life becomes sacred. So whether your work is to be a pastor or a missionary or a garbage truck driver, you can do it all to the glory of God. Our prayer needs to be that we would be established by God. But in order for that work to be established, we have to be a people that are living and desiring for His purpose to be done in and through our lives for His glory to be seen. Is there a work that you're doing today that God is needing to establish? Can you think of the work that you're doing that God is needing to establish? When you're at home, when you're at work, when you're out in the community, Is God's strength and His grace, His favor being pulled on so that you might reveal His glory? Or are you walking in your own strength apart from who He is? You see, it is through Christ that our work is established for Him. It's not ours, it's His It's His eternal purpose. And we get to experience the temporary peace of it now until the day in which He redeems His creation. My prayer for us as a body 
is that we would see this God, our God, who is eternal, who is allowing mortal men to serve His purpose. Mortal men and women. Humanity. Who has redeemed those who have repented and believed on Him for their salvation. And who desires to bless His church. His people. You see, in all the chaos of the world, it is easy to forget that God is for us. Do you see that this morning? God is for us. He is not against us. He desires us to be a part of His purpose. He desires us to be, experience His redemption through His grace. And He desires to bless our lives by establishing His purpose in and through our lives. Allowing us to experience His presence and His joy and His power and His favor. May we no longer live as a people who are confused by the world. But may we recognize the world for what it is and walk in the confidence of a loving God who is for us and not against us. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You that You remind us in this time that You are for us and You are not against us. May this be our prayer. May we be a people who are praying for one another that we would experience Your presence, Your joy, Your power, and Your favor. May we see ourselves as blessed already because You allow us to experience Your purpose. You allow us to be a part of Your purpose, Lord. And You've redeemed us. God, may we not feel like we don't know what's going on when we clearly do. That we live in a fallen world that is in desperate need of You. And God, may we be the hope for people. May our focus be on You and on Your purposes. And may we walk with people in love who are hurting. May we walk with people in love who are serving. May we be a people as Your church that reflect Your love to one another and to a world that is in desperate need of you. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen.